Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I am your co-host, Rita Peters, joined again today by my other co-host, Mark Meckler, who's coming to us from Texas. Hello, Mark. How are you today? I am doing great. How are you, Rita? I'm doing great as well. Excited that it's spring, finally. Yeah, I feel the same way here in Texas. Everything's warming up. And importantly, the blue bonnets are in full bloom. It's a good blue bonnet year here in Texas. That's what I heard. I Someday I'm going to have to get out there to Texas in the spring to see the blue bonnets because it sounds amazing. It's well, gorgeous. You know, what everybody does this time of year, Rita, I know this isn't politics or culture, but it's kind of a funny thing. Having moved from California to Texas, there aren't that many California traditions like this. In Texas, when the blue bonnets are in bloom, if it's a good year, everybody takes their kids, their dogs, their families, and does pictures in the blue bonnets. So we have a beautiful pasture full of blue bonnets in front of our house. We keep finding the neighbors out there with their kids and their dogs and stuff taking pictures, which we love, but we have the best blue bonnets in the neighborhood. I'm just saying. Wow. <laughs> well, that is something to be proud of for sure, Mark. Good job. Well, you know, it is significant that Mark is from Texas because today we're going to cover a topic we've never covered before on Crossroads. We're going to talk about the Texas border crisis. I'm hearing more and more about this on the news, Um, often wondering if the news that I'm getting is correct or accurate or whether it's skewed and twisted. But Mark, I just want to start kind of open-ended and have you just describe for us what's happening in Texas border towns right now. Yeah, you know, and I want to back up even one step about kind of a filter through which I think people of faith should look at the border. There's a lot of confusion around the border I would describe what's going on at the border as a humanitarian crisis. I, you know, I think this is really important to frame this correctly so that we understand it as people of faith. It really is a humanitarian crisis at sort of every level. And what I mean by that is you, you start by saying, well, we have people who are flooding towards the U.S. from South America, Central America, and now, frankly, from all around the world. And some of those people, and I would say it's a small minority, but some of those people are genuinely... Uh, refugees from political persecution. And these are the folks that have the right to apply for refugee status, that they're the ones who really should be getting into our country. We've always taken in people like that. They're suffering from under under political persecution. Uh, They won't be safe if they go back to their home countries because the governments will be persecuting them. The second layer of people, and, and I would say the mass of the people, are coming in as economic refugees. So they're coming from places in the world with lesser economies than the United States economy. That's the vast majority of people coming. Uh, You know, they're coming from countries like Ecuador. They're coming from countries like Mexico, places all over Central and South America that are unstable and have poor economic development. And they're coming here for economic opportunity. And this is a place now, I think, where we as Christians sort of 
we start to struggle with this because you see families coming for opportunity. And I think our Christian hearts naturally say, well, of course we, we want to allow those people in our country. But then we have to ask ourselves, well, what does that mean for our country? And again, I think looking at it from a Christian perspective, people who bring a Christian heart to this, we have to look at the people in our country first and say, what does this do for our country? And what we're seeing is that unfettered economic migration takes jobs away from Americans who are looking for work. It depresses wages. If you have people who come into the country and they're willing to work less expensively or for less wages than American workers, and those American workers that still have jobs are going to get lower wages. It's not good for our country. It burdens our schools. It burdens our hospitals. So while we have a heart for folks like this, and we always should, I would argue, we also have to have a heart for our friends and our neighbors and our families and our countrymen that takes priority over that. So that's the next layer of this. And then finally, I have to say at this point, because the southern border is virtually completely open, we have integrated into all of this transnational cartels. And these are primarily Mexican cartels. These are criminal enterprises. If we want to think of them in in terms of American history, basically this is the, the mafia of Mexico. There are multiple crime cartels, crime families that are running businesses, that are international businesses, and they're using the, the flow of human beings who might be coming as refugees, who are mostly coming as economic refugees. They're using that flow and that misery to, one, make a lot of money. It costs thousands of dollars for the average migrant to be brought across the border by the cartels, and nobody comes across the border without the cartels. And then they're using it to move drugs, fentanyl, which is a scourge on America right now, over 70,000 people a year dying of fentanyl poisoning or overdose. They're using it to traffic young women into the sex trade. So these are essentially young, actually young men and young women that are now sexual slaves. They're using it for broader based human slavery. It's really unbelievable the kind of stuff that's going on. And the cartels have also expanded, most people don't realize this, into very legitimate businesses. So the cartels now control the avocado business coming out of Mexico. And most of the avocados in the world are grown in Mexico. So if we're eating avocados here in the U.S., we're probably eating cartel avocados. They've expanded into the beef business. They've primarily taken over the cattle business in Mexico. We get a lot of imported beef from Mexico. We're probably eating cartel beef. And that means you and I are paying money to support sex trafficking, fentanyl poisoning, weapons trafficking. It's really bad down here on the Mexican border. So I, I give all that background just because I want people to understand. I, I understand and I empathize with the idea of having a Christian heart for migrants and people trying to come across the border. But we have to remember we're fostering a whole bunch of other stuff when we do that as well. That's an important reminder. And, you know, I want to talk some more about um, that issue of you know, how does our faith inform the way we think about what's happening at the border? We're going to get into that a little bit more when we talk about jurisdiction. But Mark, I am, I know next to nothing about this. I'm sort of ashamed to say, but I've never been to the border with Mexico. So can, for other people out there like me, can you give us sort of a, you know, from a practical perspective, What's happening? Like when I imagine the border between Texas and Mexico, I imagine something that is very controlled, that there's a place people come into, that they're processed by, you know, immigration services, federal officials. 
but is that actually the way it happens or are there just towns across Texas where people are just walking into the town, you know, from the border who have, who are not being processed and people don't have a way, just give us an idea of what actually happens at the border. Yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, again, I want to start backing up a little bit, which is you said, you don't really know what's going on down there. I think that's true for most of us. I lived here in Texas. I actually thought I knew what was going on on the border. I thought I understood how bad it was. I mean, I had a pretty, what I would, what I would have described as a realistic, thorough perspective. About two months ago, I started to really dive in. I've gotten involved in activism around the border and I've learned that it, it's, I don't want to exaggerate, it's a hundred times worse than I imagined. So let me describe yeah. the border physically first. Okay. So the border is roughly 1,300 miles contiguous with Mexico. This is the longest contiguous border with Mexico of any state in the union. Uh, I, of that border, the vast majority of it is just open land, ranch land. Uh, some of it is, is hilly or mountainous, filled with ravines that you have the Rio Grande River, which a lot of folks have seen the pictures. <coughs> excuse me, of the migrants coming across the river. Uh, you do have border towns right on the border. Uh, and then you have border checkpoints, as you described. So some of the traffic that goes back and forth across the border is very organized and very regulated. It's going through the checkpoints. And I would describe that as what is the primarily the legitimate traffic, right? These are uh, workers who have visas or have work permits that allow them to go back and forth across the border these americans traveling into mexico it, we've probably all seen those border checkpoints the line, lines of cars going across the border being examined by border agents question that's the legitimate traffic and for folks who are legitimate refugees they can come to those border stations and they can go to immigrations and custom enforcement to the to the border patrol and say hey we're here we're here as refugees and we're declaring the vast majority of the border is what I would describe as uncontrolled. Some of it has a fence on it, but even the places that have fences on them now have, uh, the fences just end randomly. And and you can walk right around the end of the fences, which is, it's interesting because we see on TV these giant fences, what they generally don't show us is the end of the fence where migrants literally just walk around the fences. What we're seeing now is mass migration across those open borders. And when I say mass, we're talking literally thousands of people a day pouring across the borders. Uh, interestingly, if you ever look at the footage and you can look this up online, if you look up migrants and wristbands, what you'll see is the vast majority of the migrants are wearing colored wristbands. Now ask yourself, what, what are those? They're not going to Disneyland, right? So what is it? Those wristbands indicate how much each migrant owes to the cartel based on how far they were bought. So this is a completely wow. systemized thing where these migrants are being brought to the border and brought across the border by by these illegal cartels, the, these criminal enterprises. And then, um, and along the way, it's important to note that as they're coming to the border, the statistics say that at least 30% of the women that are making that trip are sexually assaulted along the way. I noticed that you, you've had a dog visit you during this. Yeah. <laughs> My dog is visiting me. I can assure you, completely legal dog there. Yes, <laughs> that's a relief. So the border is, it, it ranges from completely controlled at border checkpoints to completely uncontrolled. Mm. Even the places on the border where you see uh, now National Guard, State Guard, uh, we've got extra reinforcements according to Operation Lone Star on the border that are Texas reinforcements. The way it works now is all of those are simply based on 
what the federal government is doing with this, welcoming committees for immigrants uh, and I'm for illegal immigrants, people who are coming here with no papers. They ha- they're not refugees for the vast majority of them. They come in, they are processed either by National Guard brings them to, to the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement or state authorities do, or just, uh, ICE themselves, border security, bring them in and just process them. And then they are simply given a date to appear and then they are released into the country. So that's kind of what it looks like on the border. I would describe it as complete chaos in some cases controlled and processed, over 6 million people have crossed that border uh, since 2020 alone, which is an incredible number of people. You think the entire population of Austin, Texas is 1,119,000, over 6 million crossed into Texas across that border. Border Patrol estimates 1.2 million or what they called gotaways. And that means people who were not even processed, right? They just came in, they got away across the border. And when I say it's 1.2 million, those are the ones that Border Patrol saw that got away. Wow. There are a lot more than that that got away that just got into the country. So you say they're estimating 6 million across the border could be a lot more. Wow. Now, Mark, I, when I ask this question, it's not I'm not looking to blame someone, but just from an informational perspective, what has the Biden administration changed in terms of immigration policy and border control? Because it seems like the situation has gotten worse. Um, you know, what is it that the Biden administration is doing that affects or impacts the situation at the border? Yeah, and I want to be clear, this is a bipartisan uh, situation. It's been created yeah. by both parties over decades, literally. Uh, the Trump administration was doing a better job, though I would say not a great job. But the main changes that were made uh, as the Biden administration took office was the removal of the remain in Mexico policy. That was one of the biggest things. So what that actually said is if you were going to come here and you were going to apply for refugee status, uh, if you came from a third country, in other words, you came from somewhere south of Mexico, you were required to remain in Mexico while you were processed in regard to your refugee status. And what that did is it really dramatically slowed the flow of of immigrants across the border because most people were coming, as I described, as economic refugees. They wanted to just get into the United States, disappear into the interior, get jobs, work, raise their families, whatever they're doing, partake of the American dream, really. And they wanted to do that without having to be stuck in Mexico to determine if they really were refugees. The vast majority, as I've described, are not refugees. I think it's something like only about 10% of actual claims are even adjudicated as having potential for refugee status once they're adjudicated. And so remain in Mexico meant you're going to go to Mexico and you're going to get stuck there. You might be there for years and years. I just saw a report that said uh, in New York, for example, it will be nine years until you get a hearing at the local ICE office. So in other words, you're going to come into the country and you're going to be permanent resident here before you're ever even called to go before ICE and make your case. So the big change was remain in Mexico uh, and the serious enforcement at the border that pushed people back onto the Mexican side of the border. That is now completely gone. The second change was Trump was actually building a wall along the border. Trump administration was doing that. A lot of miles of wall were built. And that was completely stopped under the Biden administration. You can actually see if you go down to the border, huge yards of pieces of the wall that are meant to go up that are just sitting there rusting now because the Biden administration stopped all of that construction. Wow. 
Now, I want to talk, get into the jurisdiction issue a little bit and talk about the interplay between federal, state, and local government when it comes to this issue, because it seems like all three are definitely involved. Now, I want to start with this that I pulled from Texas Governor Greg Abbott's website. It says, President Biden's open border policies have led to a humanitarian crisis at our southern border as record levels of illegal immigrants, drugs, and contraband pour into Texas. The state of Texas is working collaboratively with communities impacted by the border crisis to arrest and detain individuals coming into Texas illegally. Our efforts will only be effective if we work together to secure the border make criminal arrests, protect landowners, rid our communities of dangerous drugs, and provide Texans with the support they need and deserve. So that's from his office website. And then here's a quote from Governor Abbott directly. He said, while securing the border is the federal government's responsibility, Texas will not sit idly by as this crisis grows. Texas is responding with the most robust and comprehensive border plan the nation has ever seen. So this is really a federalism issue, and I want to talk about that a little bit. It is the federal government's job to protect our national borders, right? It not only is, it specifically is, and it's required by the Constitution that the federal government secure our borders, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, they're not doing so now, and this is important. This is one of the fundamental powers, the enumerated powers of the federal government is to secure our country, and that means secure our borders, yep. and they're failing to do that right now, and this is a puts the states in an incredibly difficult situation. Well, there is a fundamental legal question that was answered by the Supreme Court. I think it was 10 years ago in US v. Arizona. Don't agree with this decision, and I think it might get reversed here in the next few years, but it said that the states have no right to enforce immigration law. So I want you to think about the incredibly difficult situation that puts a state of Texas, for example, in or Arizona or California. What it says is that when you have illegal immigrants crossing the border, the state has no right to do anything about the fact that they're coming illegally into the country, according to U.S. immigration law. So now you have a state like Texas, and we have literally thousands of people a day pouring across the border. By the way, many of them with proven criminal records. Uh, they, they've, we know terrorists, literally people on the terrorist watch list have been detained at the border. We've got drug traffickers. So you've got all these people coming across the border, and the Supreme Court has ruled that Texas can't enforce immigration law So then what can Texas do? That becomes the really the next question. Yeah, it's really a problem. And backing up even from, you know, whether it's federal government responsibility or state government responsibility, we know from the Declaration of Independence that the fundamental purpose for civil government in the first place is to protect the life, liberty and property of its citizens. And you mentioned, you know, it is an enumerated power and responsibility of the federal government. It's Article 4, Section 4 requires the U.S. to protect each of the states against invasion. And clearly what's happening at the border is an invasion of people who are not coming here legally, who are bringing drugs, trafficking humans, you know, it, it's just a terrible situation. So for the courts to say that the states 
can't protect their borders. It just seems like that leaves us in a terrible situation. So is that why the or the local governments now getting involved? Because you mentioned that there are towns along the border that aren't being protected from these invasions. So tell us what's happening in Texas, you know, on a state level and on a local level to try to protect the border there. Yeah. You know, when you go into these towns, some of them very small towns along the border, it's very obvious. I mean, I mean, you would know if you went into the town that the cartels have overrun the towns. You can see this everywhere. The cartels are are in control. There are things going on. These are some of the things that I've learned recently that I've been stunned by. The cartels own most of the used car dealerships on the northern side of the border because the cartels require a lot of automotive transportation. So that's how they get their cars. They have people in the DMV that will register those cars to random people because, of course, they can't register them to themselves. So people are getting calls from from uh, the border security, from Border Patrol saying, hey, we recovered your Ford pickup. And, and then the people say, I don't have a Ford pickup. And they just realize, oh, well, that was just randomly registered to this person by somebody at the DMV. So we're having all these problems where now these border towns are actually controlled by the cartels. I have friends who live in McAllen, Texas. They say they can see cartel activity in their neighborhoods, just yeah. regular middle-class neighborhoods where the cartels buy houses in those neighborhoods, operate their businesses out of there. So local law enforcement is struggling to deal with all of this stuff. It's very hard for them. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the sophistication, the intelligence tools to deal with these gigantic transnational cartels. They're doing the best they can, but they're very limited. They're limited in their legal authority as well because they can arrest them for committing you know, state crimes or local crimes, but they can't do anything on the federal side of things. And so that means they can't deport these people. Right? The state has no authority to deport. That's federal authority, and the federal government is not helpful in that regard. And so they're using everything they can in local and statewide law enforcement, but it's not enough. And I can tell you right now there's a lot of action in the state legislature attempting to press the government to do more to create, for example, serious felonies for simple trespass. Uh, mm. These ranchers that are on the border, Rita, it's unbelievable. They're finding dead bodies on their property daily. It's like one giant morgue along the border. Uh, the ranchers are threatened. They're told that their families will be killed if they don't engage with the cartels or if they don't turn a blind eye to the cartels. And the federal government is doing nothing to help them. So the state is working, and, and I can tell you, we as a grassroots organization are working to press the legislature to do the things that it can do. For example, creating a local or statewide border protection force is something that they're working on right now in a, in a bill called HB 20. Hmm. That's great. So there is legislative action. Um, maybe we can have you come back to that and tell us more about that bill in a minute. But I did promise we were going to get to, you know, the issue of, you know, how does our Christian faith inform our response to this? Our program is all about the crossroads of faith and culture. And I know some Christians who would say, well, we shouldn't be kicking people out. We shouldn't turn anyone away. They're coming from these terrible situations. Right. And first of all, you pointed out, Mark, that it's only, you know, it's not all of them are coming from terrible situations, except for the fact that they're looking for better economic opportunity, yeah. which is important as well. But that for Christians who say we should just be accepting everyone with open arms and we should take care of them. 
I think this is why it's so important for us to talk about jurisdiction, because while the role of Christians involves loving people, caring for the poor, being hospitable to strangers, that isn't the role of the government. The role of the government is to protect its citizens. And we are talking about, you know, you you mentioned these ranchers finding dead bodies on their property and being, you know, told that their families are going to be killed if they don't cooperate with the cartels. So keep in mind that we need to be caring for those people as well. And I I just want to remind everyone, when you think about, you know, what our duty is, as a Christian or what our duty is as a church, that's a different question from what the duty of the government is. Mark. Yeah. And I I really, for me to put this in a Christian perspective is to understand that by having an open border, by not enforcing our border laws, we are actually creating a humanitarian crisis. And I want to describe that crisis in somewhat graphic detail. So people understand what we're creating. Because I would argue, Rita, that we, and I mean specifically those of us here in Texas that are allowing this to happen, but all across the country, we are creating this situation by allowing it. So we've created this open border situation, and that means people are flooding across the border. They're coming from South and Central America and all over the world. And that means that we know for sure a minimum of 30% of the women who make that journey will be raped or sexually assaulted in some way along that journey. We're responsible for that. We can't turn a blind eye to that and say, oh, well, this is just economic refugees. No, we've got a magnet now. We've got an open border and jobs and all this stuff. So we're encouraging this. And you you have to ask yourself, we all have to ask ourselves, are we okay with the fact that 30% of the women minimum who make that journey will be raped along the way? And I, my answer is absolutely not. I'm not okay with that. I care, I care about those women. I, I That's outrageous. It's unbelievable to just human sensibility. We have to acknowledge the fact that there are a huge amount, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of young girls and young boys, by the way, because of this being sold into sexual slavery. The biggest market in the world for sex slaves is in the United States of America. Wow. And and so if we are going to allow the open border, if we say we have such big Christian hearts, we need to let everybody in, then we have to acknowledge that in doing that, what we're going to do is we are going to provide the human horror of allowing all these young people to be sold into sexual slavery. I'm not willing to allow that. I'm going to stand against that. We have to understand that every seven minutes in this country right now, every seven minutes, somebody dies of fentanyl poisoning or overdose. All of that coming from Mexico, all of that coming across because we have a completely open border. So 70,000 people a year minimum dying of fentanyl poisoning or overdose. By the way, 70,000 people is more than died in the entire Vietnam War. And this wow. is literally the carnage of a mass scale war, a mass scale invasion. The human carnage is unbelievable. It is the, the greatest killer of Americans between 18 and 45. So we have to ask ourselves, and this is really important when we're talking humanitarian crisis as Christians, are we okay with being complicit in that? Are we okay with the fact that moms and dads are finding their children dead in bed from fentanyl poisoning? For those of you who don't know, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, and it's being used by the cartels not just as an opioid. So not just people generally don't think they're taking fentanyl. They think they're taking something else. They think they're taking a pain pill. 
They've laced it into marijuana. They've laced it into methamphetamines. And so people who think they're taking other drugs are end up taking fentanyl and tiny doses of it cause overdose. We've had enough fentanyl come into this country to kill every person in America multiple times over. And if you and I don't stand against that, if you and I don't say that we need to secure our border, if you and I <clears throat> say, well, our Christian hearts tell us that we've just got to have an open border and let everybody in, well, then we're okay with letting one person die every seven minutes in the United States of America. We are complicit in that humanitarian crisis. And I, I came to the point, Rita, where as I started to understand all this as a Christian, I said, no, I, I'm, I'm not willing to participate in this human tragedy. I'm not willing to turn a blind eye because I care about refugees. So I'm going to let 70,000 Americans die every year. I'm going to let kids be sold into sex slavery. I'm going to let women be raped. I'm not okay with that. And so I become a really staunch defender of the border, the idea that we have to have a secure border if we want to stop the humanitarian crisis. Yeah, absolutely agree. So Mark, it, we're almost out of time, but what can we do as Christians who care about the humanitarian crisis at the border? What can we do to, to make a difference in the situation? So there's two things that, that I want to talk about in response to that. One is we can respond appropriately to people when we hear them talking about the border. Because mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think we're going to hear in church, and we do, I have, and we're going to hear from our church friends that, you know, we have to have a Christian heart and we have to accept these people and et cetera, et cetera. And my response has become, okay, so that means you're okay with women being raped as they come into the country, with children being sold into sex slavery with 70,000 people dying a year of fentanyl poisoning. I asked that question to flip the narrative because it's really easy to take advantage of Christians because we have a Christian heart, because that's what right. we're told to do. And so we tend to align our, our political positions, our positions on the border and other issues with how we feel at a heart level. Mm -hmm. And so I go to the heart, which is, you know, I'm not going to allow any of that stuff. So number one is how do we talk about it? And that's the way I talk about it. Number two is what can we actually do about it? Of course, we can put pressure on our federal officials to actually do their job and yeah. seal the border. And then number two, if you're here in Texas, uh, you can stand with us and put pressure on the legislature and the governor to do a lot more. The governor has talked a good game. He's done some stuff, but there's a lot more that he can do. He's declared an invasion. And we here in Texas want him to declare an invasion. We want him to seize the assets of the cartels, close down their ability to financially do business here. There's a lot more things put in harsher penalties for trespass so that state authorities can get involved, more money to the state authorities that need it to fight back against this stuff. And, and Rita, we're actually going to be doing an event at the state capitol on April 29th. We expect tens of thousands of people from Texas and all over the country to come. The rally's called How Many More? And it goes back to that narrative. How many more young women are we going to allow to be raped? How many kids are we going to allow to be sold into sexual slavery? How many moms and dad have to see their kids die of fentanyl poisoning? And my response to that is no more. We're done with that. Absolutely. So glad you're doing that, Mark. Well, you have educated me for sure today about what's going on at the border. And I'm sure you have educated our listeners as well. So thanks, Mark. Thank you. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. It's yep. rough down there and people should really pay attention. It is an existential threat to our country. Yep. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but I want to make sure to thank our generous sponsors 
at Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists, and our good friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren in Harrisonburg. Thanks everyone for listening, for your encouragement and your financial support. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at PO Box 881, Harrisonburg 22803. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler and our engineer Robbie Meadows, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com.